0: You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
1: So welcome again to 1 Peter. Tonight we are making our way through First Peter chapter three, 1 Peter 3, 1-7, which may not sound like a lot of verses, but they are packed. There's so much in this, and I... I, I did feel bad, but not that bad, because I know Sharon is a very diligent student, and she has studied this passage very hard, very diligently, and is going to lead us through this tonight, and so you should have your notes, and I will lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to hand things over to Sharon. Now, as, as Sharon's speaking, if you want to spotlight her, I'm not sure how you have your set up, but you could just... Under the view on the top right, you just hit spotlight, and uh, the main person speaking, in this case, will be Sharon. Mm. She'll take up uh, your screen, and you'll be able to see her and follow along. Um, okay, so let us uh, let me record in prayer. Re- record in prayer. <laughs> let me <laughs> begin with prayer, which will be recorded. Lord, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your kindness uh, and for your goodness, and uh, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that your word would go forth and not return empty or void, but would penetrate our hearts. And so we pray that your servant, Sharon, would be a conduit of your grace and of your truth. So speak through her, we pray, and give us ears to hear and eyes to see, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond to what you teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Sharon, hand things over to you.
0: Thanks, David. Okay, so um, thank you for coming out tonight, everyone. So we're going to look at first Peter three, one to seven. Um, and so I just want to, on your sh- your form, you should have it. I've highlighted the sources., um, much of the material is inspired by um, first we we looked at the first Peter Teachers' Manual uh, by Martin Cooley. And if you took the course with us where we went through the whole first uh, um, the whole New Testament, that was the source we took from, so um, I looked at that. Then I also looked at another source and uh, this is available to everybody. It's from Regent Audio and that's um, iHoward Marshall. Uh, now, Regent Audio, I am on the email list and you can get like, some of the best speakers out there um, uh, living, at, like um, Daryl Johnson and um, so many great speakers who've either come through Regent or spoke at conferences or um, who are teaching there right now. So it's a great source. So we found this um, back in oh, 1975. Um, H- I, Howard Marshall, uh, spoke at Regent College. So um, he had a great speech. So we, I thought I'd use that. If you hear anything I say, and it sounds like it comes from the mouth of a um, very eloquent, elegant, eloquent British gentleman, you'll know that I'm quoting um, I, Howard Marshall, before I say it. Um, So, uh, I'll just refer to him as Marshall. Uh, The other source we looked at was the same source we looked at, which is the NIV commentary, which is what we used for um, when we looked at the book of Daniel, okay? And so, the last book, though, is uh, a book by a local theologian by, you might know him, John G. Stackhouse, Jr. And uh, the title, the most important part of this title is a pragmatic understanding of gender. And we're looking at a pragmatic understanding of gender in the church and in church history. And that was a great source. Um, So you're, you're going to see that as I go through this. So we're going to be speaking on marriage tonight. And David knows that usually this time of year, I send him some sort of correspondence, either a text or email. And I thank him for officiating at my wedding to Trevor. 14 years ago this month. So next year, uh, next week, I won't be here because Trevor and I will be celebrating our ivory wedding anniversary, um, which actually now, ivory is now called, it's now called the golden jewelry wedding anniversary, which is ironic because, um, and uh, special because that actually comes up in this passage. So, um, So David, if you could show that picture that I sent you, that photo, Uh, Just so you know, when I'm speaking about Trevor, this is the man I'm speaking about. Yeah. Now, that photo was taken by Valerie Sue. She's actually the missions intern uh, at CA Church. And uh, that was taken when we were on our first uh, trip to Mexico in the Copper Canyon. And Trevor's job... uh, task on that trip was along with Valerie, was um, taking photos of the kids. Um, they were sponsored children uh, who go to the school there. And um, he, he and Valerie took the pictures of them and Valerie took a picture of him. And I think it's one of my favorite pictures because um, it is him basically uh, using his most beautiful talent, in my opinion, um, for God. And uh, that's, so I just thought, when I mentioned Trevor and I will, um, this is who I'm talking about, so and uh, yeah so that's so like david said yeah peter 3 1 to 7 is one of the shortest passages we're going to look at in this course but it certainly says a lot and it has a tremendous impact on how we view marriage so therefore like we want to approach it with a healthy understanding of how we're going to read and how we're going to receive this passage so tonight is a an invitation to reflection, um, but I understand we all come at this with different experiences. So we wanna be careful um, with ourselves, with our memories, with our regrets, um, uh, with the people who played a role in our lives in the past, um, with our hopes for the future. Um, yeah, and we wanna be uh, careful and understanding of each other as we go through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, first, Peter, uh, it calls us to be sober-minded Uh, And so I'm going to ask you to take some time to to soberly reflect on this passage and what it means for family life. Now, when I mean family life, there's only me and Trevor in our immediate family, and we're family. Uh, We have a huge family around that, but uh, that's family life for us. So we're going to keep some things in mind. Um, One thing is these seven verses aren't a how-to guide to understanding the opposite sex. Um, You aren't going to find the comprehensive marriage advice that many couples and many Christian couples need. And after class tonight, um, if CA Church is your home, we can look at connecting you with counseling uh, and counseling professionals if you feel you need that. Okay. so um, Marshall noted that there's two types of passages. There's those we like and we don't follow, like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We like the sounds of it, but it's very hard to follow. And and those we don't like and we don't like to follow. And he found people had 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7 in that category. So I quote I Howard Marshall. Some people will jettison a passage such as this from their working canon of scripture. Even evangelicals have a limited canon of scripture and ignore quietly the bits they don't like. And I can understand that. It's hard to read this text with our, our minds going immediately to how it can be and how it has been abused. But this is the word of God. And so it's good and it's right. Um, so and we remember that scripture is God breathed. Um, it's through the hand of Peter, but it's God breathed. And as Marshall would say, it is what it says that's authoritative, not what we think it says. Okay. So I just wanted to start with a general question. And just so that you know, I tried to Create this so that everybody can speak into it. Um, There's a lot of questions there that are about how this could extend out into our lives in other areas. So nobody should feel that just because they're not married yet, they can't speak into this or because uh, they've had bad experiences in the past uh, concerning marriage or their parents had a, a bad marriage or, you know, there are poor marriages around them that they can't speak into this. And a lot of the questions, I think, are just open, and everybody should feel free just to speak hypothetically. In fact, maybe we should just assume that other people are speaking hypothetically about when we talk about it. So I tried to be a, as uh, as understanding of that, and as, as I created this, because I don't want this to be a difficult experience for anyone, that it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah, all scripture comes with um, challenges, um, but I want to be understanding that it comes at different levels of challenge for different people at different times of their
2: lives.
0: Okay. Um, so I just wanted to start, and oh, a lot of the questions are in through the notes as well. So you'll know what's coming up, okay? Okay, so I just wanted to start with one general question, and you could throw it in the chat or you can unmute yourself. Um, why do people get married these days? And I mean, just in general society around you, why do we get married these days?
3: A lot of people get married for financial reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Just and you going were to say for tax thing. benefits. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. And love? Yeah, absolutely. The very modern, very western. Is we get married primarily for love? I understand that. Yeah. No, and you know what? There's no right or wrong answer here. Why else would people get married?
2: So we are not lonely for
0: sex. Yeah. Sure. Sorry. So we are not
2: feeling lonely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. I totally understand that have a family yeah 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 companionship absolutely and yeah and especially when you think of long marriages companionship can be more important than anything comes up tradition yeah many people might find it's a traditional thing to do yeah absolutely ah to prevent loneliness yeah to afford a house (laughs) yes British Columbians might see that yeah Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's one thing I hope we see is that, yeah, you know, Peter's speaking to the entire world at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Arranged in some cultures. Absolutely. Yeah. Shotgun (laughs) weddings. Yeah. That happens too. Yeah. No, these are a lot of great answers. Yeah. Absolutely. All sorts of reasons. A security. That's a a really big reason in this world. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Great. So um, as David pointed out, first Peter served as a guide for those living in exile, and in particular for those who are going through baptism. And it helps to guide new Christians thinking through how now shall we live? So chapter three begins by addressing married life. Um, Just as we don't read these verses out of the context of the rest of first Peter, we don't read them out of the context of the rest of the Bible. So there's some other passages, and you have them there also in your, um, uh, in your notes. So there's a few that I wanted to kind of highlight as we go through this. Uh, the first is Philippians 2, 5 to 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That was 1 Corinthians 7, three to four. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man nor is man independent of woman for as woman came from man so also man is born of woman but everything comes from God 1 Corinthians 11:11 11, 11. And wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as the church Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything Husbands love your wives for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his wife, father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect him. Now that long passage was Ephesians 5.22 to 33. Now, do you recognize these verses? Yeah. So where would you have heard them? And sermons, at a wedding, at a wedding, yeah. Some parts of weddings, sermons and weddings, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So basically, uh, the church tends to divide along two theological positions when it comes to women in the church and marriage: complementarians and egalitarians. So complementarians see husbands and wives having different but complementary roles. The m- model is Christ, and the church is where and the church, where the church is the bride, as the grateful respondent to Christ's initiating love, Christ's sacrifice, and the church submits. So say complementarians. So should the husband and the wife. Now egalitarians see a marriage as an equal submission between husband and wife, both before God and then to each other. Both theological camps can marshal scripture to back their positions. So how can the New Testament seem to support both sides? How can Peter Paul, sound, and Paul sound complementarian and egalitarian at different points in the same letter? How can we read and understand this letter, Peter, um, as it would have been understood by his original audience? And then how can we use this to honor our spouses in the here and now? So John G. Stackhouse Jr., he was the last source I quoted. Um, he wrote a book on the tension between these two positions. And he, what he offers is a pragmatic understanding of gender that goes a long way to reconciling them and to understanding the text. So Stackhouse argues, and you have it in your notes, um, that basically the Holy Spirit is guiding the, the apostles to do two things simultaneously. And you might see echoes of this, and have heard echoes of this um, in the course so far. So the first one was to give women and men in the church prudent advice on how to survive and thrive in the unequal culture around them. And the second thing though, was to maintain and to promote a more egalitarian dynamic that's already at work in the gospel of Jesus and will eventually leave inequality behind. So we've got those two things going on at the same time. So have we seen that dynamic before, either in this book or in the gospel with any other topic than inequality between men and women?
1: Oh, slavery, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Peter, yeah, see you. Yeah, exactly. You're all saying, yes, exactly. Slavery. Absolutely. And we can see this. This is a dynamic in the gospel. And so that gospel approach to slavery and caste. And now many parts of the world, as somebody pointed out, Christians must still practice this um, sort of pragmatism. So they, they can't launch like a, a, an idealistic assault against deeply entrenched social evils um, when they're still a small and vulnerable minority. But the idea is the Christian community grows. It works to permeate the gospel with or permeate society with the gospel itself. And that eventually will improve and eradicate what's wrong. Okay. So we're seeing the same. So this is what Sackos is arguing. We're seeing the same sort of dynamic here.
1: Okay? I just want to uh, add to that, Sharon, is just yeah. what, what Sharon's pointing out, that, that tension between yeah. um, you know, recognizing the context of the time, and in this case, a very patriarchal, very uneven society, unequal society, and that tension along with the, um, this egalitarian dynamic that you find within the gospel where there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, that tension is a really important tension for you and I to understand whole bunch of things including you know the questions of slavery questions of, of gender and women and men and husbands and wives so Sharon's just gone through it but I just want to underline this that this may be something you come back to because this is actually a really important
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, way to understand the Bible and way to understand and to respond to sometimes atheist complaints, saying, "Well, look how misogynistic yeah. the Bible is, or look how anti-women is." Like, yeah. no, 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 no. You have to understand the historical context and also see mm-hmm. how radical the teaching mm-hmm. is within this context. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely key. So, I just want to underline this, and so don't uh, don't don't miss this. And this is Stack. Yeah. I think Stack has a um, yeah. great point in his book, yeah. you know.
0: It, and he does a really great job of. Um, of understanding other people's positions, but then also pointing exactly out what you said, which is great. Yeah. so I really recommend it. it's a, it's a great book. Um, but it's also the concept that it's the gospel that improves and eradicates what's wrong, not necessarily arguing back and forth about it.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So okay, so just think what we, we've seen the first two chapters. okay? We've seen the first two chapters of the book of First Peter. So who have you noticed that he's been addressing so far as the audience in the letter? Okay. Who is Peter talking to in the letter? So you can put it, you can unmute or you can put it into the chat. Yeah, exact. Yeah, Christians who, yeah, basically who become in, come into exile. Absolutely. So, have you noticed anything about their station in life or how he's addressed them? Is this a really wide group of people? Yeah, absolutely. There, he's speaking to converts to the church too. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, the people in the church, so far we've seen them be referred, referred to as either s- slaves or, um, and now we're gonna see them addressed as husbands and wives. Now there's a couple of different ideas about this. Now there's some who think that the congregations were composed mostly of people from the slave classes, the working classes and the marginalized. Um, or it could mean some commentator- commentators think that um, the church was socially diverse but that Peter didn't just ad- just didn't address everyone in this letter. In any case, with uh, well, the problem was, their Christian faith would make their social Hello? status and their life more difficult. Sorry, did somebody want to say something? Harlow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <There>, never mind. <laughs> okay,
0: there we go. Yeah. So Peter is trying to help his uh, readers, the people in the church, to make sense of their what is becoming their precarious social position in the Roman Empire. So as Christians, we realize that we are to identify and establish our identity based on who we are in God's sight and who we are in God's family, rather than who we are in society, Um, so that we are a family in which there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, okay? This is Galatians 3.28. Now, that ran completely culture to the culture in which they were living in, which these Christians found themselves in. And many of who were probably very new to the faith. So Peter is trying to provide a means of coping with the stresses and all the persecutions of society as they're being prepared for God's final kingdom. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3 recognizes that we will endure trials even in our own homes. Can we all, we all agree with that last point? We'll endure trials even in our own homes? I think so. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I've talked about myself. I don't come across necessarily as, um, I, I won't come off sounding as a, as a rose in when I speak about myself. So um, yeah, so that's what I just want to be clear about. Um yeah absolutely that's a good point of exactly quite a few women in the crowd he's dressing specifically in this section thanks Lori. that's great okay so i just want to look at the piece right now we'll look at first peter three one to seven we'll look at it all at once and then we'll look at it in sections and break it down okay so first peter three and i'm going to use the english standard version likewise wives Hmm, That's an interesting way to start a sentence. Likewise, or in the NIV, it would be in the same way. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious for this is how the Holy women of the Bible who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Chapter uh, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may be hindered. But some, manu- some manuscripts for chapter 7, verse 7, have, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life. Okay, so we have those two possible translations just for that one line. So we're gonna break it down into sections, okay? Uh, There's a lot there. There's a lot uh, that, um, yeah, people have taken exception to in the past and we've gotta realize that. Yeah, Um, lots of things could be happening going on here. Um, So first of all, I just wanna look at women and men in Asia Minor just to put us into a little bit of context. So they're kind of two group of women converts women who are converts from a Jewish background were protected under the law, but their role was really constrained to the home, okay? Um, Now, they had limited rights of inheritance, religious education, and movement. Now, Gentile women in Asia Minor uh, could own private property, could own private businesses, vote, serve in public office, and in the various religious cults. That existed at the time. Um, now all over the Roman world, it was up and down. For women in Athens, it was more like it was for Jewish women, much more constrained. For women in Rome, maybe a little bit more uh, leeway and freedom. But everyone lived out their family life under the pater familias. And David's mentioned this, and, and we've talked about this in our course. And the pater familias um, would have been the oldest living male in a household. So he held authority over the extended family everyone from his wife to his slaves. And including if she was a widow, say his widowed mother, uh, his widowed aunts as well. The oldest living male was the head of the household. And one thing to keep in mind was the paterfamilias' duty was not ultimately to his family. It was to the state and his role is to raise proper Roman citizens, okay? So we're gonna look at first, we're gonna break it down and we're first look first at verses one to two, because this is obviously the first issue they face and we're going to look at, it says, likewise, or in the same way. Now, this is an interesting way to start a chapter. If this was a book, you wouldn't start with it likewise, or in the same way, but we do start it here this way. In the same way as whom? What preceded talking to the women before this chapter? What did we learn last week?
2: Submission.
0: Yeah, so who was he directed to last week? Who is, what was submission directed to? Yeah, submission to your masters. Yeah, absolutely. You're right, Joseph. And to the government. Right. So, this is actually, yeah, good to authority. Yeah. And this is actually going to remember that um, a lot of these breaks um, were put in later, that it was been one long extended. So, basically, he's just continuing on. And, yeah, this is in the same way he's talking about uh, to the other authorities. Now, some from these verses, though, in these sections, we can probably assume that there were many women in the church in Asia Minor who had converted to Christianity, but whose husbands had not. So this is actually only just two verses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So yeah, this is the idea that these women had probably come to the church. They'd converted to Christianity, but their husbands had not, or at least not yet. So Peter knows that these women are going to leave church and they're going to go home to a household that's divided. Okay, Um, so his advice was part of the ethic that we'd seen previously just in verse two in the previous chapter. Live under the orders of the day. Uh, So the Christian spouse is called to mediate who Jesus is to the unconverted partner. Another translation of verse two. Would be, and this is what Marshall thinks is when they observe over time, not immediately, but over time, your pure conduct lived out in fear of the Lord. They hope the hope was that the husband wouldn't remain indifferent to the gospel, but would reconsider the message. And the relationship of love and respect should look and feel as much as possible as the love of God itself to the unbeliever. She who has been forgiven much, loves much if I can paraphrase Luke 7 47. Now, given that the church, the husband was a non-Christian, the church would not expect him. It's like the story of Lee Strobel enters. Oh yeah. That's an awesome comment. Yeah. Following the model of Jesus submitting it. Yes. It's like the story of Lee Strobel. Absolutely. If you did know that story, um, Pete, do you want to talk on that a little bit? The story of Lee Strobel?
3: Yeah. I just, well, yeah read the book case for christ but i remember more yeah. specifically in the film when uh his wife became christian and he was what an investigative reporter right in chicago mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he was very uh he wasn't to, to say the least i guess he wasn't too happy about that but yeah. she seemed to just uh, yeah model that christian behavior yeah. and 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 he was um, yes. fascinated with that and that delved him into the whole you know, seeking and searching more and, and eventually led him to Christ through. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This is, a, that's a beautiful story we like to see. And actually even at the end of you, I think I remember the book or one of his other books, he said one of his children said that they saw a change in him once he'd become a Christian and that affected him. So it had a little bit of a snowball effect. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's great. That's a great example. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, this is a point. And David and Cheryl, you just put in a good point about the culture of the ancient world. You're right. Um, and I'll get to what you're just saying in a second. Given that the husband was a non-Christian, the church would not expect him to give her the freedom that she would have had in a Christian marriage. Um, She could not claim that unilaterally. You're right. It might go very badly for her. And David and Cheryl, I don't know if you've seen the chat, they wrote, they wrote, in the culture of the ancient world, it was almost unthinkable for one to adopt a different religion than like her husband. And you're right, because one of the commentators said that it would have been considered insubordination or insubordinate. And I think of that word, I think of it being in the army, but you can see it as being un, in a, under authority under the paterfamilias. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point. Thank you. That's awesome. And one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of you you have experiences living in different parts of the world and yeah, in a lot of the world what we're talking about here it's not a then and now. It's a when they read the first, the book of Peter, it's their life. They're going home to this themselves. So I, I I always want to be careful of that that I don't assume that what's happening around the people around me is what's happening all over the world. Because there's a lot of people who live within this right now. Now, one thing you got to keep in mind is that Peter's not suggesting that a Christian woman who's married to a non-Christian should do anything he says because he says it. No, she's not saying that she should deny the Lord or stop going to church if that's something he demanded for two reasons. Number one, that's sin. But number two, because it would give him the wrong impression of the Bible. Um, she has a right understanding of authority. And uh, she, for her, this is love of God. So therefore, Peter's being pragmatic. He's advising these women to be especially circumspect, okay? Beyond reproach, loving, and serving. In all the other areas, so much so that the non-believer would be won over to the faith. So think about this. This is a similar experience for anyone coming, for a lot of people coming through Alpha or who are new to the church. Uh, and so this is what Peter's is is putting forth. Now, can you see what he's trying to do here? And can you see some parallels in relationships outside of marriage? Is this just something we're asked to do within marriage, to be this loving person?
1: I remember when I came to faith Mm -hmm. in China, I had uh, two really close friends. And uh, for years, we hung out. Uh, They're both from mainland China. And I, um, you know, I convinced them that Christianity was stupid and that anyone who would want to be a Christian was just, you know, intellectually bankrupt. And um, when I became a Christian, they were really mad. They were very, very angry with me. And so it was a difficult, you know, um, kind of tightrope walk to, you know, live in such a way that. Uh, was sensitive to you know their anger and their hostility towards Christianity. So our mm-hmm. our relationship changed a little bit. I wonder if that's you know a, a bit of a a parallel mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. for these women when they came to faith. I mean, especially in a patriarchal society, yeah. and I mean that that would have thrown thrown everything off, and it, and it would have been very difficult for them to navigate that.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. But this is you got. I think that this is a part of the larger call to all Christians, which is imitatio Christi, to imitate Christ. So that we live such a holy life before unbelievers that this conduct, that our conduct would be a witness and have a positive impact. Um, And then the idea of also that no one is really nagged or argued into the faith successfully, I think, but is there an inherent, we got to remember, this is, this is a difficult situation for a lot of people. I have prayed and cried with, Family, friends, both men and women who find themselves in the situation where they're praying for a conversion to happen. And um, it's just, it can be a long, long wait. And we don't know the end result. So, is there, is there an inherent profit, promise of conversion in this text? No, but we do our best. And yeah, I, and I realize that that can be hard when we think about um, our, our kids in, in their marriages and our, our families, our parents. And uh, so this, is, this isn't a point of prayer for a lot of us. And I understand that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we're always called to demonstrate the love of Christ with others in a respectful way. Absolutely. It's part of the witness, right? It's part of the witness. Yeah. So then we're going to look at verse three to four. And it's, it's a, basically, we're going two verses at a time when you realize how this is it packed. Uh, and this is when you think about it, we talk about what, what kind of voices then this is the imperative. This is what we're called to do. So it's it's packed. Absolutely. So we turn to appearances. So do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God, in God's sight, is very precious. That's the... English Standard Version. So here, Peter's addressing pride, and he is addressing vanity. I mean, outward beauty is, is lovely, but it doesn't come close to character. So 45 years ago, when the when Marshall spoke at Regent College, he talked 45 years ago in 1975 about what he called the indoctrination, particularly of young children, both boys and girls, in the belief that being pretty is the most important characteristic of a girl. And I kept think. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But Peter's contrasting the work we do on our appearance with the work of the Holy Spirit as it works on us. And that's what matters to God, that we have the beautiful heart that is expressed in the beauty of character. Because, you know, physical beauty fades, but that sort of beauty doesn't. And really, when you think about it, Peter's asking them to give up on a losing proposition. OK, um, so what constitutes external beauty differs across cultures and time in Asia Minor. It was braided hair, gold jewelry um, must have been their 14th wedding anniversary and fine clothes. Um, and we also actually see the same thing addressed in the other part, another part of the Bible in First Timothy 2, 9 to 10. Now, this might have meant that some of the women had status or wealth, or it could just be saying that their priorities were just out of whack at that time, um, it, Regardless, the preoccupation with appearance is a problem. Um, and then, but also when he's speaking before Regent College, Marshall also pointed out that this is something men have to pay attention to as well. Uh, the idea that for women and for all of us, we're not just an ornament. There's more that Peter's calling to here. We're not just an ornament that God looks at us and God wants to develop in relationship with him. Okay. Okay. Um, So basically at this point, I thought we'd do a bit of a Zoom because some things um, we can put away quite easily when we come to Christ, other things not so much. So the question is, can you remember a shift in priorities after you came to Christ? Um, What lost importance or what gained importance? And if you feel comfortable talking about it, was there anything that was a sticking point for you? Like for many of these women, it could have been appearance, could have been because of the society, that's why they were judged by could have been the gold joy because in a lot of cultures, that's the only thing you're walking away with. If you have to leave the family in shame, um, it could have been anything. But for you, where was, if it was there a shift in priorities and it was there anything that was a shift, that was kind of a sticking point. So David, could we go to a Zoom with that? Oh, you're muted. Sorry, I can't. Sorry, hear
1: I, I know. i muted myself and I can't because I still... Mike, what did you do to my Zoom account?
0: The same thing. Brokeers. happened.
1: <laughs> Apparently, I can't I'm a, I can't do i I'm looking at the bottom. And it's like, where's breakout rooms? Where's breakout rooms? They are gone because Mike ruined everything. Uh, sorry, I have to. I have to. Um, I'll have to uh, go over the settings. But I mean, we could probably have a, a, a large group setting, a large group conversation.
0: Yeah, no, we can do that. Yeah, no, sorry okay. But,
1: uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know where 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 they went. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, people are sad. I can just see that.
0: I know. It's be or they're being very okay. cheeky. Okay. No, that's yes, fine. Um. Okay. Uh, yeah. So anybody wants to put in the chat or wants to unmute and say, was there anything, did you notice a shift or a reevaluation of your priorities when you came to Christ? Is there I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing that, that changed eventually but I remember very strongly as a teenager in the church coming across some book that said you should only date other people who are Christians other guys who are Christians I remember being really upset about that Um, I have learned since how important that is Uh, Mm -hmm. how difficult it is to be unevenly yoked but Mm -hmm. it took a while to come around to that Mm -hmm. I remember that strongly yeah Thank you, Laura. Thank you for sharing that.
2: I had a real hard time with the submit thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: That was the worst.
0: Yeah. And this could be in anything, not just this, this topic. I know, um, for me, I think if there's a sticking point for me is seeing, uh, things in terms of security instead of terms of just trusting God. So almost anything I see through that lens, I have to know that that's a difficult lens for me. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. The other know. thing that changed a lot, sorry.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> uh, the other thing that changed a lot for me is um, I used to feel like I had to be perfect all the time. <laughs> okay. And uh, once I became, not right away, but as I grew in Christ, I realized like that's impossible anyways. And I'm... Easier to admit my faults now than before.
0: Thanks, Donna. I should let you speak into my life on that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Were there things that were easy to give up? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Asking God for help rather than asking others and trusting. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. That's great.
2: Okay. Well I, um, well, I grew up in a fairly um, – uh, well, well, we were quite poor gr- growing up. Yeah. And when I became a Christian, my parents were uh, – I came from a non-Christian home. And mm-hmm. I didn't really think much about appearance and stuff like that right through my, you know, training. But mm-hmm. it was when I was in a large church – and my husband and I were fairly, you know, had to live a frugal life. But mm-hmm. then there were people in the church that were quite wealthy, and they were, you know, in those days they dressed up to the hilt going to church, and mm-hmm. that really made me feel kind of <laughs> inferior. Yeah. And I think my, I think uh, Karen and Ruth kind of felt the difference too. Of, you know, of of the. Um, being uh, they felt that they had to dress up to, with some of the uh name brand clothes and stuff like that, but that that was the biggest challenge for me, and I really had to fight that. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Yumi.
0: Oh, yeah, Pete, being conscious of your words and language, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah,
3: I remember feeling um that one of my the upper, one of the apprehensions I had about coming to faith was that, you know, I wasn't going to have a sense of humor anymore. <laughs> it was so serious. And yeah. it was uh-huh. hot. Or, you know, part of my humor was crass at the yeah. time, too, which is, it's so you know, mm-hmm. foolish to think about, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly sticking.
0: Yeah. And thanks, Pete. That's, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one of the commentators as well, he thought it was also a question of, um, of finances, of spending. And the idea that that they would have to reprioritize what was important to them because they'd have to reprioritize um, giving generously to the church and giving generously to the poor. And so he's he's putting that ahead of them. Um, but for me, it was, stands out is, is also the idea of having the gold joy is having that security and financial security instead of depending on God, instead of depending on on that. And, and the status of, yeah, of, think about the women living back then that they were – valued by what they look like and the children they could produce. So Mm -hmm. we're going to turn to verses five to six. Okay, so I'm just going to grab there. So for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter gives an example from Jewish history of women like Sarah um, who put their trust in God. And now Peter used the word that meant Lord and the the Hebrew word normally for husband would have been master or owner. In verse 6b, women are reminded to fear only God and not to fear their husbands. Um, One's obedience was a result of trusting in God, not in trusting in man, neither a pagan husband nor a Christian husband who was failing at his duty. So remember, the fear of God is positive because it's accompanied by hope. Um, you know, some I was gonna ask a question here. Uh, who are some of the women in the Bible that you admire? Because Peter is telling them, look back at women in, Bibli- in our history, who, who you can look to. So who are some of the women you admire? And this is for men and women. Leah, yeah, Leah was underappreciated. I like Leah too. Deborah, yeah. Uh, Esther. That's true. Mm-hmm. A lot of women who persevered, Mary. Yes, I think Mary, when you think of the Magnificat, what an amazing piece of poetry. Jael, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you and uh, very many artists, David. Uh, yeah, Ruth and Naomi, yeah. And isn't that a beautiful yeah. story, Ruth and Naomi? Both yeah. widows, but a mother-in-law and a daughter, you know? Yeah, it I, like, me. yeah. I like Abigail. Yeah. Yes. I like that was one that was shown to me when I was a girl in in Sunday school as Abigail as well. Yeah. One of David's many probably more neglected wives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why do you think that Peter would remind the women to act to think about women in the past who they could remember and admire? Kind of the same way that, why do you think Hebrews draws us to look at the heroes of the faith? Why do you think he's telling the church to do that?
2: They already tested.
0: Sorry? They, they were already tested and already passed the test. Exactly. Great. Yeah. They're already tested. Yeah. Role models. Absolutely. Look up to them. Like Jesus, they submitted to the Father, yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. I think it was to show that they were also part of this family, right? Exactly, yeah. Uh, That this is their, even though they're Gentiles, they're grafted into a story. grafted in, absolutely,
2: yeah, yeah. And and they were from different backgrounds. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. One was a prostitute, the other one was, yeah, Mm -hmm. quite different. Absolutely.
0: So no matter what background you came from, you can see someone, you can maybe see a little bit of yourself in that person and absolutely see possibly your future in that person. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think also if if we actively remember their struggles, their faith and God's triumph through it. That can really help sustain us in exile because these women are in exile and they're also dealing with this issue at home or they're dealing with maybe their own insecurities or they're dealing with other things happening within their family. Because then this isn't just about the women in the family. This is about the husbands as well. So we turn to the last verse, okay? The word to the husbands. So it's likewise, husbands. So again, this is just a continuation. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of faith, so that your prayers may not be hindered or so that since they are joint heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, in this section, we see Christian marriage imposes obligations on both sides in the relationship. Men are called to show consideration, which includes respect for the wife as a person. Now, Marshall pointed out that by referring to the woman in this particular, for example, translation, it says the weaker, the weaker vessel, the weak vessel. And in the NIV, they use a different word, they use a different term. He's, he points out men are weak too. But as Stackhouse would point out too, other commentators point out, he's pointing out the obvious that women are economically, politically and legally less pa- powerful than the men in a patriarchal society or completely dependent on men for those things. So for example, Stackhouse contends that if Peter's calling the wives to submission, it's because the marriage conventions at the time were not ready to be altered in any radical way. Women were more vulnerable to the imposition of a man's will. And Peter saying very clearly, that's never to be imposed. Uh, the idea of to live with them is to live knowledgeably knowledgeably with your spouse. You would to be considerate, sensitive, and serving in all areas. This is what the men are called to do. So keep in mind, women may be smaller and bench press less weight than men, but we also tend to live longer. And that's why the New Testament was also concerned with addressing the needs of women, of widows and orphans. Um, And this is a demographic reality in Asia Minor at the time, and it remains so today. But Peter elevates women in this verse. Women and men are both equal heirs to God's grace in the present time and in the world to come. This may not be in the world around you, but this is the truth. This is what is real. Um, We can share in it now by praying together. So of course he leaves the question in your mind, if the husband's lacking a lover consideration for his wife, how can they live and pray together in harmony? So we're looking at marriage, same now as back then, we're in the already, but the not yet. So I have another question. Have you ever started something, but you later realized it entailed way more work than you thought it did? So keep that thinking about that in your mind. If you ever started something, but it actually entailed more work than you ever thought it is. In the last few weeks, uh, Mark and Sam has spoken on marriage in the healthy family series. So Sam pointed out that both marriage and singleness can be gifts from God. Although biblically, what did he say about them? There's no guarantee that that gift comes without a struggle. Okay. Oh yeah. Somebody rewrite on my bathroom. It's my never do house projects. Yeah. Those are sort of things. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, marriage is for our flourishing, the glory of God, and the edification of first the church and then the world. So when we think back to the beginning conversation we had about why people get married, where did most of those things that the world can't, lives in, where did the most of these answers, where did they live in flourishing in the first part? And is it, do they live in the glory of God, the edification of the church and the rest of the world? No, because Christian marriage is different. Christian marriage is much more than just doing what feels right to us to do, okay? Now, no marriage is perfect because we're sinners and we bring our pain, our past, and our personalities into the mix. This often prevents us from doing what we should be doing, but this can't be excused for not working at being a better spouse. After Mark's message, um, one of my community group members, Trevor leads our community group, And one of the community group members told us about how God had spoken to him about his marriage. And he said, and I quote him, I am to love her more than I love myself, to put her ahead of myself, to always give her preference, but I get sloppy. I used to do that when I wanted her to marry me. So on Saturday, I asked him if I could quote him and he said, yes, but he wanted you to know that he's still working at that. He says, I'm still trying to learn that. Um, Howard Marshall, like this is where he's so elegant, he says where the new law of love of Christ is fulfilled, the relationships between men, husband and wife will partake of the quality of that love. Each will treat each other with respect and reverence, but since temptation is ever present and we remain fallen creatures, husbands and wives need to be counselled accordingly. Marriage in the legal sense out in the world imposes obligations on both partners. But Christian marriage, it imposes a higher ideal. It's the union of a man and a woman made in the image of God, who share together equally in the promises of God. And it's the deepest possible relationship between two people. It encompasses physical, emotional, and spiritual. And that's, that's the thing I just think people outside of Christianity don't understand. what's open to them for that. So I have a question. And... So I'm going to open it up though a little bit. I kind of posed it rhetorically, but the question is, if a husband's lacking in love or consideration, how would this affect his wife? How willing would she be to pray or serve with him? And do you think it would be different if the woman, if the wife was lacking in love or consideration? And I know that's a hard one. If a husband's lacking in love or consideration, how would it affect his wife? Would she be willing to pray and serve with him? Is it any different? If the wife was lacking in lever consideration. Hmm. Sorry, Sumi?
3: Okay. Ideally, it shouldn't. Mm. I mean, ideally, uh, uh, the spouse that's not getting from the other side that what they
4: mm-hmm.
1: what they should it, it mm-hmm. shouldn't affect their uh, uh desire to pray for and
4: serve the other but i think it does
0: yeah that and that's basically yeah you read it that's a hard a hard thing to think about yeah but that's what peter kind of puts forward yeah uh, but somebody said yeah no difference between the men and them both have power to break the relationship yeah especially if you're both vulnerable whether you think you come from sacrificing and submitting or both mutually submitting uh, both of you can break each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we realize we're all selfish. Yeah. We're all reaching here. So the reason I ask is because, uh, I want to look at the concept of marriage as refuge. Okay. So the modern concept of marriage in the West, when it's respected at all is often like, if you look online or look in social media, it's a couple building a life of kids healthy kids, a house, cars, um, and good-looking Instagram posts. But the covenantal Christian marriage for the couples in the world of 1 Peter chapter 3 is seen as a refuge from a hostile world, a world where we know from history was going to become even more antagonistic in the years to come. So again, Peter's speaking to a congregation with real-world needs. This is part of life in exile. So I ask, isn't marriage supposed to be a place of healing and refuge from all the slings and arrows that come our way outside of the family home? If we are to live as exiles in a world getting more antagonistic to our faith, shouldn't we build marriages where we can be safe, open, and vulnerable to each other? I don't know about you, but I don't live in an Instagram life. Last week, Trevor and I had an awful week. It started on Saturday. One of our life group, our community group, went through something uh, awful. And because of COVID, we couldn't go to them, couldn't do take care of that. Um, We had a horrible experience with someone else in the community. It was Kafka-esque, as I, you know, talked to, when I talked to Brad about it and asked him to pray about it. Then we went to um, our in-laws, my in-laws, Trevor's mom and dad, and uh, we didn't tell them about it because we didn't want to worry them. But then we you know, heard the news you hear about aging parents and, you know, that weighed on us. So I got to tell you this last week, I, I learned a hard lesson on what it means to have refuge uh, within your marriage. Um, there were mornings where I had to like basically grab his hand in the morning, I think, just to get me to face my day. So, and having just that uh, ability to pray together about it. And the fact that he was such the, you know, he didn't, you know, some people admit, you know, get under pressure, they snap. He didn't snap at all. Um, that was meant so much to me. And in a lot of the world, the power imbalances, the things people face are even worse. Um, and those are the places where Christianity is growing. Um, so Peter speaking to those who are coming to Christ in these communities just as he's speaking as ours, just as he's speaking to me and Trevor. And Christians, we're expected to follow Christ's example. That's why I started with the verses I started with. Many couples live in the tension of the following. If one partner claims to follow Christ, but refuses to exemplify the love of Christ in their marriage, how can the other submit? How can the other mutually submit? That's impossible. How can they create a sense of refuge? So Marshall, he contends that submission is a minimum moral conduct required by the Jewish community and many of the Gentile communities as well. And so the Christian couples were to meet at least at that level. But submission is rooted in the fall, but it's part of a larger unfolding theme in the Bible of equality in Christ. First, Peter informed a church community and created the social context that would eventually reject slavery and embrace the equality of the sexes. Indeed, Christ pours out his spirit on both his sons and his daughter in Acts 2, 9 to 17. McKnight wrote, marriages that are full of love, respect, and honor rarely, I believe, need to resort to the issue of submission. When a husband focuses on submission and the wife worries about it, the image of marriage is distorted. But when both spouses focus on mutual responsibility to love and serve one another, then the image of marriage is clear and beautiful. And that's what he wrote after counseling couples. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. That's a nice friend. But honestly, like the message that the, the lesson I got from it um, on uh, both of us, depending on Jesus through this was, was unbelievable. Um, yeah. Thanks for, for writing that. Um, so I mentioned that David officiated at my wedding 14 years ago before Trevor and I got married. And before we did, one thing David had us do was he had us do the alpha premarital course with a mentor couple, it's like four couples and four mentor couples. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I would recommend it to any engaged couple out there and encouraged us to look at possible stress points and to think practically, creatively and flexibly about our roles in our future. Yeah. Um, so for example, when we did the course, this is just how, you know, and you start out, you're naive. Um, we thought that when it came to housework uh, I would do everything inside and Trevor would do everything outside. And then we bought the house that you see me in, and I realized I know nothing about electrical upgrade and code. And um, unlike me, Trevor has no desire to garden. So we basically modified our expectations and our responsibility, regardless of how it's done in other families. Okay, for in our family, the best person for the task is whoever has the expertise. So I handle some things, he handles the other. We do the best to seek feedback, keep the other in a loop, and we do the best we can. Uh, another thing that happened though, out of, out of alpha premarital was really good was that one thing the mentor couple noticed was, and I remember Jerry saying this, your schedules, they're quite different. I, I, I think that might be a point of stress and he was absolutely right. And I remember the time I, I felt really upset and actually the first week after we owned this house, when Trevor was at work, cause he worked six days a week at that time, um, the water tank blew and I was by myself, the woman who thought she'd handled everything in the house. Um, So that was pretty shocking. And I remember one time feeling resentment, but then remembering that Jerry had noticed that and God had moved Jerry's heart to, to notice that our schedules would cause conflict and would cause stress on us. And it made me think, but I knew this, God told me this would happen. And that was somewhat comforting. And I made myself go to sadness rather than resentment. And that hurt more, but I think it was way better. I realized, yeah, this is because I miss my husband. And eventually our schedules got better. So I don't know. I think sometimes you just persevere. You just submit through some things and it works well as long as as you both can do that. Uh, We try to honor and serve each other in the little things too. But I got to say like the guy in my, the man in my, our life group, our friend, I get sloppy too. Trevor makes lunch for me every day when I get up in the morning. And I remember mentioning this uh, to another woman, and she said wistfully, where did you find him? Why are there not more men like him? And that moment made me realize how great it is that he does that, but how I was not really appreciating him for doing it. I just kind of faded the appreciation I should have. And no other woman should be more impressed with his efforts for me than me. So I'm happy I got this chapter to explore to remind me of that. But I also got to think out there, there's also alpha marriage. There's also alpha uh, premarital. So um, that's maybe something to do once COVID is over. If we want alpha marriage again, that's for people who've been married a while and maybe want to go through it again and, and, and just rediscover what it is to be in a covenantal relationship with Jesus. And there's also maybe some of you out there, you've been married a while, maybe you could be a mentor couple for a young couple. Cause I can't imagine getting married in 2021 it is any easier than in 2007. So uh, do you guys have any comments, anything you wanna share? I think you're, you're wiser in many ways and many things than I am. Yeah, we need mentor couples, yeah. Sharon, I had a question uh, yeah.
4: in verse, in verse uh, four, uh-huh. verses, sorry, verses three and four, do yeah. we know how the women responded to Peter's uh, command there or his suggestion? Do we know what? if they went, oh my goodness, I, or did they say, actually, this is just another uh, male authoritative figure, and he says it, so of course we do it, or did they fight, did they resist, would there have been?
0: I don't see any answer to that that I know of, um, I think being, being myself, that my response probably would be based on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, for example, um, like, I think almost like when I looked at the three things, like the braiding of the hair would be the physical beauty, the wearing of the gold jewelry. When I think of many cultures where honestly, that is the thing you walk away with if you're forced out of your marriage. And so you have that. And when I think about the clothing, that's more an indulgence item. And I think it depends on where I was, if it would be a matter of this being my identity. So, no, I don't know what their response was.
4: Part of the reason I was just wondering is, so as you pointed out earlier, it's two different cultures or two different Mm -hmm. times. Um, So I just wonder if at that time, if they just sort of immediately accepted this In, in my version, in the new King James version, it says, uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward. So it's not saying that don't make yourself look good or whatever. Mm, yeah. but th- that's more important the inside person. So it's yeah. not I don't think it's saying you cannot do these things.,
2: yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just right.
4: wondering, And in our society, we are very much, uh, don't tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. And that's both men and women. (laughs) You can't tell me. Who do you think you are? So I think uh, nowadays in the church, pastors are probably terrified to ever speak on stuff and say, you know what? Maybe there is inappropriate clothing for christians maybe there there are styles or whatever that are inappropriate uh pete Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier how i think it was pete uh Mm -hmm. pete mentioned his uh uh his language i think it was in the in the chat there changed Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm uh when he became a christian yet i think sometimes Mm -hmm. we're scared to say to people you know what if you become a follower of christ Mm -hmm. he's the lord (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, he does have a say in in our speech in our dress in everything he has he has the right to say in all those areas so
1: i wonder if there's something um you know because one of the themes in first peter is that of being an elect exile right is Mm. is not conforming to this world or recognizing that you don't fit and could it be that there are some women i mean the the sense you get is there's these women are maybe from a different class or different economic class I mean to have have this kind of material so they've come to faith
2: yeah
1: and there's two issues one is um you know they don't know how to navigate this new I'm a Christian and yeah. the husband who's you know who's a paterfamilias there's that issue but there's also the breaking away from their old way of living which was maybe quite ostentatious and mm-hmm. class-oriented as well and so you, you get almost that double double admonition from Peter in that passage. I wonder if that's also what's going on yeah. um, when he's just saying to them, it's like, look, why are you still dressing the way you used to dress
2: mm.
1: when now that you, you belong to Jesus, this should be your attitude. The other thing is that now that you're a Christian and your husband may not be over keen about that, especially mm. if you start living this new way, well, this is how you need to respond. Mm. That seems to be in keeping with the general tenor of the letter that's that's just a
4: thought Mm -hmm. sorry and I had one more question if no one else is jumping in um I am always amazed at how and I hope I'm not being offensive because that's not at all my desire I was just trying to look for application for today Mm -hmm. um where in verse seven at the end I've heard people say oh this is really selfish Um, husbands act this way so that your prayers aren't hindered, like, like the ultimate sort of selfish, like you don't care about your wife, it's about your prayers being answered. And I thought, no, I think you're totally misunderstanding. The Old Testament Mm -hmm. tells us that prayers are hindered because of sin. So Mm -hmm. if a husband isn't dwelling with his spouse with understanding, giving the person honor, (laughs) etc. Recognizing Mm -hmm. who they are, that it's actually sin, like it's telling the husbands, husbands, when you're not doing these, you're sinning. And therefore, your your prayers will be hindered yep. uh, because of sin. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks. So I put some questions for reflection at the end. Uh, some of them, yeah, I try to have a few questions where it's not necessarily about marriage, and some where it is. So, yeah, so you can think about those questions afterwards. Uh, after we're done here. So any other comments or any, I've seen a few things in the the chat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Good job, Sharon.
1: That was good. That was excellent. I mean, that's a very difficult passage, especially as Kevin was alluding, especially in this day and age. I mean, it's just, it's a a narrative, but you brought, um, and this is I mean this is a task of reading scripture well mm. you need to understand it within its historical context I mean that that does give you give us a lot of understanding in terms of what's going on the other thing is that we we don't approach scripture without friends and mm-hmm. you know there are people and many of our good friends that can help us are dead people like i, I howard marshall who died in mm-hmm. 2015 uh, was a real gift to the church he yeah. he's quite a, a brilliant uh, commentator and so we have people around us who have who've done a lot of the uh, the cultural work and are wrestling with these di- difficult passages and i remember um, eugene peterson saying that uh, for those of us who study study the word, like all of us as Christians, as we study the word, we should read commentaries like people read uh, detective novels. I think that's what he said, because commentaries really can, they are God's gift to the church. And so as you're reading through scripture, like, for example, if I'm reading the Psalms, I mean, this is just, I often look at the Psalms and, you know, I have this sitting on my desk and this is Daryl Kidner's you know, it's just it's not a thick commentary, but it's a commentary on the Psalms because often you don't understand what's going on. And so these are, are very helpful, especially as you're trying to navigate some of these uh, more difficult passages. So I just want to encourage you with that. And if you need help finding uh, good commentaries, I mean, uh, I could certainly help you. And there's other people that can help. Lori loves Bible commentaries. Uh, yeah. It's, and it, they are God's gift to the church uh, Commentary you need to recognize that but thank you sharon for doing this um
0: you're welcome
1: next week we uh we shift gears and we start looking at oh my goodness jesus going to proclaim to the spirits in prison uh yeah who who are dead or i don't know i i mean this is a very difficult passage uh that we're going to be hitting to next I always love the fact that Peter said, "You know, you, you should read Paul, though some of his writing's a little hard to understand. I'm like, uh, Peter, have you looked at your own letter?" <laughs> I mean, come on. There's some challenging stuff in that, so but it's, it's rich, it's very rich. and thank you for, uh, for walking us through uh, this tonight. And it is so much more than just husbands and wives. It's, it's about you know, how we live as sojourners and strangers in this world. So good. All right, well, um, Sharon, do you want to close our time in prayer? Sure,
0: absolutely. So, Father God, we come before you. Um, I Thank you so much, Father, that you sent Jesus, because you give us the hope of eternal life, Father, and you give us the hope of an abundant life right now. And, Father, I pray for everyone... in this community of learners tonight, Father. I pray for those uh, who are struggling in marriage. I pray for those who find themselves in a happy place in marriage. I pray for those who aren't married. Uh, And I pray that they see the gift of the life they're living right now, Father. We know and we appreciate that it does come with struggle, but we also know that we see your grace and we see your triumph through the struggle, Father. I pray for those, um, Father, all those people in our families who do not know Jesus. And Father, you know how it breaks our hearts. And um, you know how uh, we long to see them and long to know that we will spend eternity with them, Father. So we bring them before you and we ask you to give us wisdom for when to speak, when to be silent, uh, when, but to always show your grace uh, day in and day out, Father. And we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to get together, uh, even over Zoom, Father, and to appreciate your word because it's all good and it's all for our edification, first for the church and then to the world, Father. So please bless us as we go out into the world tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.